welcome to All Talk Oncology. I'm your host, Kenny Perkins, a.k.a. The Cancer Guy. And again, we have another phenomenal guest. I say it all the time, and I say it because I mean it. You know, today we are traveling to the East Coast. I'm on the West Coast. We're going to the East Coast. We're talking about Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania here, uh, if, that's, if that's fair. And... Uh, you know, sometimes you think about cancers and a lot of people think, oh, this is an old person's disease. And, you know, you, you have to be uh, a specific age and that's not going to happen to me. I'm still young. And I want to get us away from that stigma, away from that, that false uh, myth. You know, cancer does not discriminate. Doesn't matter what age uh, you are cancer could be coming for you. So if that's the case, how do you how do you prepare yourself? How do you fight this beast? You know, one of the ways is come here to all talk oncology. We are talking about it all. There's nothing that we don't discuss. And we want to empower you through the, this cancer journey to give you everything you need so that you can have the confidence and certainty about your cancer condition. So our guest today, okay, as I talked to you about a young lady out of Pennsylvania, now 27-year-old, okay, she's phenomenal. She is a senior program director at Rutgers University. She helps with the SNAP program there. She's getting things. She's a giver already in who she is. Her heart, huge, okay, family-oriented. When you talk about well, what's her background, well, she... She has a background from everywhere, okay? We're talking about her father. Her father is, you know, Spanish. Her mother's German, Irish, and, and part Padawami. Padawami, I want to say, you know, which is Native, which is Native American. Such a, such a beautiful soul. And we're going to learn more about her now on this show. Let's welcome Lexi Mestis to All Talk on Ecology. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Come on, Lexi, Lexi. <laughs> Look at that smile. Thank you so much. So contagious. You know, we need that. We need that energy. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm, I'm really happy to be able to, to have this platform to, to speak. And as you said, um, really kind of gather together uh, folks who are younger and, and start having these conversations to, to break this stigma that the cancer really is something that comes with, with uh, growing old and it can happen to anybody. Yes, Lexi, it's so true. We need to break that stigma. We need to, you know, instead of getting diagnosed, what, what I hope, it's like instead of getting diagnosed and being overwhelmed, right? Because that that's that's how it works. Like you yes. you're living life, you're enjoying yourself, you know, and then all of a sudden you go in for a checkup and boom, or you're having some side effects and you go in and then boom, mm -hmm. right? Something something along those lines. I've seen it, Lexi, and I and we're gonna talk to you more about that. But would you would you say that's kind of how that trend works, right? Yes, it is an overwhelming, entirely overwhelming experience. The weight of that comes with hearing the word cancer is 
um, can be just unbearable and you have you really have no uh, direction of where am I supposed to go with this? How am I supposed to handle it? Uh, what is next? Um, and I often say to people that the worst or the hardest part of being diagnosed is that first week that before you get your team together, before you know your battle plan, you are really just in that in-between of not knowing answers and just knowing the word cancer. And it can be very terrifying. Very, absolutely. And so we're going to we're going to get into that because I, I, I know uh, we want to get your story and we want to empower those. Uh, and if you're wondering what is what was today's topic, today's topic is ovarian cancer, you know, and we're going to get into that. You're going to find out a lot about ovarian cancer if you don't know it already and and get educated on this. But before I get going, I, I, I do have to pay you a compliment. Like, see, I. You're a fashionista. I, you know, <laughs> I'm just saying. I love, I love the hair piece. It is, it's beautiful. I love the color. I love the glasses. I Thank mean, you. oh yeah, that's a, you, you're rocking it today. I, I just want to tell you that. We Thank going. you. Thank yeah. you. I, I've really uh, kind of come in. I tried the wigs. It wasn't for me. And yeah. um, I found a, a, a woman who supports artists by printing on different um, uh, head, hair pieces and scarves. And um, I just loved her work. So I started finding different ways to tie them and, and just making it my own. <laughs> yes. Excellent job. You know, you. yeah, for sure. This is great. And I, I, I think I think that's part of the embracement. And I, maybe we'll get into that later. But I, I, I wanted to acknowledge you. But I mean, being able to own it, bring some fashion to it. Your glasses are just, uh, I love that. I love that. I'll, I'll rock those glasses right there. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, and I try to be fashionable. I, like I said, try. But yeah, you bringing it today. And thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. So Lexi, you know, let's walk about you know, we talked about you being a program director. Talk to us about what was going on with your life prior to, you know, being diagnosed and then, and then how this came about. Yeah. So, um, besides my work, um, working with SNAP-Ed, you know, I was, a um, leading the program in Camden County and day to day, I was managing our educators and um, SNAP is the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. Um, and the education piece, we would go into multiple different environments, supermarkets, preschools, um, elementary schools, high schools, uh, senior daycares, um, and we would uh, try and teach SNAP eligible communities about how best to um, use their benefits to maximize their health. And so I have always been extremely health conscious. I'm very, um, very focused on nutrition, even when, and you know, I'm, I'm very into food, all things food. I've run a food blog for since college for many years, um, taking food photos of what I eat at restaurants and I love food. Um, so I, I had this very very rich sort of relationship with food. Um, but I all also had a lot of stomach problems that I had been experiencing for about 10, eight to 10 years. I mean, this is dating back to high school. And um, I 
would go to doctors and see doctors and no one really knew what to do with me. They would say, well, you know, I, we don't, we don't know what to tell you. And if drinking water helps, then, you know, drink water will give you just take some fiber or whatever. And I was very, very much brushed off. And I went to doctor to doctor to doctor. Um, and so I started kind of turning to keeping lists of what hurt my stomach. And, and a lot of it was foods. It was, it was very severe indigestion. It was just very painful. Um, and so I cut out a massive amount of foods and it started changing my relationship with food and, and what I was able to eat and, and blog about and take photos of. And it got to, to a breaking point where the pain was so unbearable. Um, and that, that really brought me to my, di- my diagnosis finally, 10 years later. Wow. So Lexi, here you are, you're you're trying to find out answers on, on why your stomach is upset, you know, for, for eight to 10 years. And you're, you're, you're not getting answers and you're telling me, okay, well, let me cut out this, you know, this and that. And that went on for that period of length of period of time. A very long time. I would say oh. that my, my symptoms grew more extreme in the last year, two to two years before I was diagnosed. And it was as if my body was telling me something is severely wrong and trying to get my attention mm-hmm. um, because it, the pain grew to be so unbearable. Um, that's actually how I ended up going to the hospital. Um, I had never thrown up from the pain before. Um, and one morning the pain was so unbearable that I, I could not stop throwing up. Um, and my parents are both in the medical field and, and they said, no, you have to go to the ER. Yes. Wow. Lexi. So talk about that pain just a little bit. When you, was it every time you, you would eat that this would happen or this was going on just by itself? All the time. I mean, when I would explain to doctors, I would say, I am in pain every day. And they would say, we don't really know what to do for you. I had colonoscopies. I had, you know, they would, you know, listen to my bowels, make sure everything was going well. And um, I... I really was in pain all the time. And it was the pain that I was experiencing, the symptoms were uh, bloating and a lot of distension in my stomach. You really couldn't press in. Um, I had a severe indigestion and I would just drink loads of water. Um, but really, I think the, frustrate, the frustration around it was not just that it went on for so long, but that when I finally found um, a primary care physician who listened to me and said, let's find some answers about this. She sent me to a doctor who I really thought I could trust. And he saw me during the time of COVID. And I think that's a whole separate um, challenge is seeing someone just over a video call where they can't actually examine you. Um, And he just told me take fiber. If I said my stomach's hurting worse, if I had a follow-up, he'd say you're taking too much fiber. Um, he really wouldn't listen to me and at times even laugh at, at my, my the pain that I was having. Um, so I didn't feel that I was being heard. And I think that that's something that we have to highlight with ovarian cancer is that these symptoms are so sneaky. Um, they, they mimic IBS, they mimic urinary tract infections. Um, sometimes you get back lower back pain. It can feel like a kidney stone. Um, and that's why it's called the silent killer. It can be very, very hard to pinpoint. So you have to know if you're having this combination of symptoms, what to ask your doctor for. And especially in a situation like this, I, I hate that it took a, a situation that I like a diagnosis like this for, for me to know how to advocate for myself. Um, but if you're having a situation 
um, like I went through where a doctor is not listening to you, that you have the freedom to change, to find someone else who will listen to you and, and um, know how to put your foot down. Yeah. So a great point for everyone listening right now, you know, it's, you have to be your own advocate sometimes. Is that what I'm hearing you saying, Lexi? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and if you're not getting the answers, because you know, no one knows your body better than you. You know you're having an issue, but you're not getting the answers about these issues. So if you're not getting the answers, what Lexi just finished saying is that don't be afraid to say, I'm going to try another doctor to find out if I can get the answers to this question, uh, to my questions. And so, Lexi, talk about when you first found out now the answer when you got diagnosed how did how did that come about were you having all these issues for years and then boom yeah so i um i went to the er um early in the morning um and i had been told for so long that this was gi related that it was ibs um that i came in saying i a bowel obstruction. It's just convinced that this was GI related. And they took one listen to my bowels and said, your bowels are moving fine. That's not it. And all of these thoughts start going through your head of what could this possibly be? And long story short, I was in the ER for all, all day. Um, and I ran multiple tests and it was through um, a transvaginal ultrasound and an ultrasound that they saw that I had massive cysts on my ovaries. I had three the size of my hand on my on my right ovary and uh, on my left ovary and six more small ones on my right. And they were actually so large that they could not see the ovary and they assumed that it was twisted. And that's why I was in so much pain. And so they had, had to do emergency surgery. Um, and uh, when they were doing the surgery, they saw some odd markings on um, my abdominal wall, uh, which they assumed to be endometriosis. But luckily, the doctor who was in that day said, you know what, this isn't typical practice. It should, you know, it's endometriosis. It looks exactly like it. Let's just biopsy it just in case. And because she did that, um, I got a call um, a week and a half later that it was actually cancer. Um, and um, that that's how I found out what it was and why I was having all these problems. Wow. Wow. You know, it, it, it took this right? This vomiting and just couldn't handle that and going to the ER to really get this. And, and thank goodness, right? For those physicians that take that extra step. Yes. Right. She, and what I heard you say, she took that extra step. Let's biopsy it anyway, you know, and it's, it's so easy, Lexi. I mean, you're going, Hey, this is a 27 year old ah, da, da, da. endometriosis. Let's go close her back up. No, she took the time and I guess what I'm focusing on here is make sure you have someone on your team that really wants to take a thorough check of you and, you know, you get a thorough checkup. So why is, why is ovarian, you've been diagnosed with ovarian cancer at that point, right? A week and a half later. Is that, is that, I hear that correctly? So they, the biopsy was so small that they actually could not confirm that it was ovarian cancer. From what they could see, they assumed that it was, um, but it wasn't until my massive debulking surgery that they were able to, um, to do that biopsy right there while I was on the table and confirm and move forward in the surgery. 
So let's back up here. This is huge here. So you you go in, they you're in the ER, and they go, ah, ovary must be turned, blah, blah, blah. You got some cyst here. You go in from that. And that same day, are you telling me they going, we need to do some debulking? No. So I actually, they didn't know how severe it was until they took um, my case to the tumor board um, a week or so later. And I was actually scheduled for a debulking surgery. They didn't know how extensive it was going to be okay. later in March. Um, and so um, it was, was going to be, I think, March 19th. And it ended up, um, they went to tumor board and saw how severe this was um, and just how extensive it might be. And um, they decided to push it up to March 3rd. So it was March 3rd that I had my debulking surgery. And that's when they confirmed this uh, rare subtype, low-grade serous. Gotcha. Wow. So this is in February. Did I, did I hear that correctly? Did, did we talk about that's February? This all happened? You went to the ER? The ER was February 9th. The confirmation of cancer was February 15th. And the debulking surgery was March 3rd. Wow. So it all happens very quickly happens on so top fast. of the emotional uh, kind of stress of it all. And you trying to find your bearings. Um, I, I explain it very often as if you were pushed onto a high-speed train that you did not buy a ticket for and the doors <laughs> close and it has a destination and you're going to keep going and, and you will get off of it, but you don't have any control at first. You just have to sit down and, and take it all in. That's a lot to take in, Roxy. It is. That is a lot to take in. Yes. And so here you are. I mean, how are you getting the proper mindset to prepare for this? I, it, it, walk us through that because it's a, I can only imagine the shock. Okay. You get this diagnosis on the 15th. Boom. We need to have you in surgery. How are you, how are you gearing the gearing up for this? Yeah. So, you know, on top of, on top of knowing that the surgery is coming, you have discussions about you're going to have a full hysterectomy and you, you're not going to be able to have kids. Um, I was also posed with a very bizarre question of because you're 27, we morally have to provide you the choice of whether or not you would like to keep your cancerous ovaries in and have a child and not live for very long, or if you would like to have it all out and live as long as possible. So yes, it was very overwhelming and there was a lot going on, but like you are saying that this is a space to um, provide cancer patients a, uh, a, a toolbox, if you will, of knowing what, what to do, what could come, what could be good for you um, as far as resources. I, I had a, a friend who was diagnosed uh, two years before my diagnosis, who's my age, um, with stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma and she made it through, she had a stem cell transplant, but she has been my, like my rock through this of just someone who knows what hearing those words is like. And, and her telling me week one is the worst because you don't have a battle plan yet. You, once you get that vision forward, you'll feel so much more empowered and you'll feel okay. Hearing those words, like hearing my words may be helpful to someone else. That, that, is, that's what helped me to, to go forward. I'll say that. And as well as take time to feel normal a little bit. You know, I, I wrote in, in my blog that, um, it's okay to, to on that high speed train, find the refreshment cart and just 
relax for a minute. So before my huge surgery, my husband and I went to, uh, did a staycation um, at, a, at a, a hotel in the city and just pretended to just be normal for a minute and, and relax. And, and that helped so much, uh, helped us mentally prepare and forget and um, just feel a little bit of love for a minute that wasn't in, a, in the sense of grieving. Yes. Lexi, what a gem. Find that refreshment cart on the train. I, that, you're dropping gems today. <laughs> you know, because we need, we need that, Lexi. We need to be able to learn how to do that. And the resilience, there was already, you're already showing faces of that. You know, being able to bounce back and go, ah, take this time and do that. So what's so scary is, um, is there, there's no way to really diagnose ovarian cancer, right? At this point. So there's no way to screen for it. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, uh, you know, thank you, screening. you are, you are, you, you go to the gynecologist for your annual and you have your pap smear and you assume I'm totally fine. I'm safe. And I did not know that that ovarian cancer was not screened during that time. I did not know that that some element of me and my feminine health was unsafe. Um, and uh, most people, most people with ovaries don't know that. Um, and so it is shocking to me that in the year 2021, we mm. have no way to screen for ovarian cancer. But because of that, we really need to know what these symptoms are and what to ask for. And that advocate, advocacy piece is, is really important, how to advocate for ourselves and ask for those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is, it is shocking with so much advancement that there's not a screening tool that's been created for this. And, and, and for most ovarian cancers, because of that reason, when the diagnosis does happen, it's usually now at a late stage. Is that, is that fair? Correct. The typical staging is at 3C. Um, which is advanced. Um, and so, you know, you're starting the battle later in the game because, you know, you, there's no way to catch this earlier unless you are aware of, of what to look out for and what to ask for. Um, and, um, you know, if you are experiencing that bloating or distension in your stomach, um, abdominal pain, changes in bowel movements, um, frequent urination or feeling very full very quickly, um, you should definitely speak to your doctor and request a CA-125 uh, blood test. That's the cancer antigen 125. It's a, the serum that will test for lots of different kinds of inflammation in the abdomen, um, but it's used with ovarian cancer um, as well as a transvaginal ultrasound so that they can get a good imaging of um, the state of your ovaries. Yes. And thank you. Thank you for educating them on, on that. You know, it's super important. You know, Lexi, so here you are, you know, I love, I love that you decided we need to get that refreshment card and, and do a staycation. What is the discussion like? Cause you, you're, you're a married woman, you're young, you're a young lady and uh, newly married. Right. And what's that discussion like about from you and your husband about what's this procedure and the options it takes away from you? in childbearing and things like that. How, how, do you, how are you guys, dis, how was that discussion? So I will say that there really 
wasn't a discussion about whether it was an option because we knew the choice, we knew the decision before before the discussion even started. I mean, um, I I want to live and I want to live for as long as possible. I'm someone who loves and adores life. I have done so many things from, you know, I lived in India for six months. I studied and did my master's degree in Italy. I, you know, I've, I've done so many things and I enjoy living. I love my family. And for us, having me here was the most important thing. Um, but it doesn't mean that it wasn't an easy decision. Um, it's, it's very challenging to go through that grieving. And I, and I still, we still are. Um, for example, I just went for my uh, post chemo CAT scan and it happened to be in a children's and women's center. And I had to sit in a waiting room full of moms going for their ultrasounds and having new babies. And it's very challenging. It, it is very sad. And, and I am someone who doesn't like to be told no, um, I will take a challenge and say, you tell me no, I'm going to, you know, when I had my surgery, they said, you know, walk three times a day, I'll walk five times a day and I'll show you. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it, it's just, one, it's hard to be told no. And, and it's going to be kind of a lifelong grieving process. Um, but it opened my eyes to just how extensive the infertility uh, community is within the cancer community and beyond, um, that this was a pain that I didn't understand and have, you know, I, I wish that I had had empathy for before, but um, it's, it is very challenging. It's, it's a, it's a hard thing to live with. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, but you are a trooper, you know, I can see it. You're talking about, you're not going to be told no. I, and that, that I don't, I don't know I, I have that same thing and I, and I love that you know because there's always always a chip on our shoulder in some ways right and we're going to prove something and that's a part of the fighting which which makes you a, a, a super warrior you know so here you Lexi you 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 get you get through this you, you get ready you, you go through the surgery you know, how is life like at, at that point now, you know, now that you've had, you've had this surgery and, you know, how do you, how do you feel now? I will say that recovery from the surgery was much harder than going through chemotherapy. Um, this is an extensive surgery that you know, they opened my entire abdomen, abdomen up from, you know, right where my rib cage starts all the way down. And um, that is the most extensive surgery I've ever been through. So, you know, learning how to walk comfortably again and showering and having to wear, um, you know, support around your waist. And um, it, it is, it was a very hard surgery to get through. And I went from being someone who exercised five, six days a week and found so much joy in doing uh, high intensity exercise and dance to not being able to do much, much movement. Um, it was very, very hard um, to get through physically. It, it's a very painful surgery to recover oh, from. My goodness. You know, I can only imagine. And, and typically, how long does a surgery like this last? How long did it go? So they 
prepared me for about a, a six hour surgery. Um, and um, they said, you know, if something else, we find something else, it'll be much longer. Um, mine, what ended up being about eight uh, hours um, because it was found um, on my uh, spleen because those cysts that I mentioned before were so huge that they were actually pushed my ovary up um, to, to touch in that area, um, which is how it, it spread. Um, so yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it, it was, uh, and you know, I, and, and we can talk about my, my chemo experience as well, but uh, chemo was a breeze compared to the surgery. Yeah. And, and how many rounds of chemo did you, did you get? Six. Six. Mm -hmm. And and so did they prepare you for that? Because now, I mean, you're on this train and it's going and now it's, it's surgery, right? It's surgery. And after surgery, how long after that did you start chemo? Five weeks. So I, I had my, because they, they, I mean, they told me this is, this is very serious. Um, you know, you're stage 4B and we need to get you going as soon as possible. Um, and, um, you know, I, I've had my port in while I was still recovering from that massive surgery. So I'm uncomfortable in a lot of different ways. Um, and then, and, and you show up, you just show up and you do it. Absolutely. Such a warrior, you know, it's not, it's, this is not a, an easy train to be on. Didn't ask for this ticket, you know, and here you are fast track, you know, but your, your attitude, Lexi, and how you approach this, you know, is, is so amazing. And so as you're going through these five rounds of chemo, what is Lexi's thought process about, about life now and her, out, her, her view? My first priority was my health. Um, you know, I was told that you know, the reason why I was performing so well is because I have a really great baseline health. And I went through a very bitter moment of really wondering why everyone, and I, I mean, I assume everyone will ask when they get their diagnosis, why, why me? And what did I do wrong? I work out five to six days a week. I eat really well. I don't understand. I don't have cancer in my family. Um, and so I, once I kind of got past that and realized that I could have some control um, beyond asking why, where you have no control, I really, really wanted to get to keep that baseline health. So I focused a lot on uh, my diet. I focused a lot on trying to keep my movement up, whether it be walking or um, stretching, trying to keep some movement in. Um, but you know, my aunt, she is, she's worked 26 years as an oncology nurse, and she was, most people do not have the privilege of having someone with that experience in their inner circle. And she came and helped me with my first round of chemo. And she told me, because uh, I, I was a competitive soccer player for a long time, she used to drive me to my games, I uh, played with my cousin. And she said, you know, just like with um, soccer tournaments, you wouldn't go into the soccer tournament and be thinking about the final game. You would go in and you would have to focus game to game to game to get to that final game. You wanted to get there, but you need to focus and keep your head in that first game to get to the second game. So I tried to keep that in my head as well of just keeping the present, 
make sure you're making yourself as healthy as you can, as best as you can for this first round, get to the second round and so on and so forth. But trying to, to just be as healthy as I could um, was huge for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's those gems like that that help us with our mindset that allow us to get through these, uh, through each session, you know, each day. Right. And so I love, I love that. I love that about your, your aunt and you're absolutely right. And I, I, cause I speak about that Lexi, about how to form your team. And it's interesting how this is already coming about. You had a physician that came in that took the extra step and, and which helped you and saved your life. And you also have an aunt who happens to be an oncologist. What a, it's just a wonderful thing on how a life how these things come about in our lives and, and right when we need them, right? Absolutely. And you know, that the doctor um, who found this and finally, and she, she said, I'm going to find out what's causing this pain. Um, and, and that, you know, almost brought me to tears because I thought someone's going to actually help me. And um, she listened to me when I said I, I had a lot of um, PTSD around having doctors not listen to me. And she said, I'm going to help you handpick your team moving forward. So she helped me handpick my medical, um, my gynecological uh, medical, the surgeon, um, my oncologist, my GI doctor, because she said, if there are lingering GI issues, let's get those worked out. My primary care physician, um, she was incredible. She wrote me a letter so that I could have an emotional support animal. This woman is an absolute, I call her my fairy godmother. She showed up mm -hmm. at my final chemo uh, and I, and of course, couldn't hold back the tears because she's been so incredible, but um, that just goes back to how important it is and that you do have a say. There, there, there may be doctors out there who do not listen to you or want to brush you off, but in the same vein, there are doctors who do want to listen to you and are doing the right thing and will fight for you, um, and, and I'm just so, so grateful to that we found each other, um, and just a little extra tidbit, she's she was only in the ER that day. It was meant to be. And, uh, and I just am so thankful. So thankful. I kid you not how life works. It's just so it gives me goosebumps. Yeah. You yeah. know, you know, it's not it's not sometimes that we say it's not fair. You, you know, life sometimes what we get dealt is one way, but who who we find along the way absolutely amazing. And so I want to say that to all those physicians out there that that are not just going to work uh uh, to, as a job, but those that really care, you know, and th there's a difference because you know, we all, no matter who we are, you know, sometimes we just go to work and some of us, we just enjoy our work. We want to make that difference. So to those physicians, uh, I want to say, take my hat off to you. Um, Lexi uh, wants to take her, her scarf off to you <laughs> because yes. we, we, we need more of you. We do. We yes. do. You know, this healthcare, we need it, especially here in the cancer community. We need, we need phenomenal physicians and they are out there. So I want to put that plug in for those physicians, Absolutely. you know, so Lexi, you know, here you are, you're going through treatments, you know, all of this happened. This is this year, right? I mean, Lexi, this is fresh. Very. 
you know, we're talking February this year. We're, we're, we're now here. We're in August. I mean, this is only a few months, mm-hmm. you know, into this. I'm looking at the Lexi I see in front of me today is radiating. She's just, you know, it could be different, right? It could be different, Lexi. I, I have seen it. And the reason I'm saying that is because I've seen it, Lexi. I've seen people that don't have that resilience to bounce back. And they've allowed this situation to overtake them. And it can. I, I can. We can be honest with this. This could overtake you. But if you have that resilience, when I, and I see that in you, man, what a beautiful thing. And sometimes, Lexi, and the reason I say this is that not everyone, everyone may have the ability to have it or they have the capability of having the resilience, but they've never utilized it. They've never been taught. And so they may not have that fight. And so I I say for those that are listening to this, take take a note here of Lexi. Look at her. She's, she's phenomenal. She's a warrior and she's getting through this and you could get through this too. So, you know, enough talking about on my end, let's get back to Lexi. Lexi. So you've gone through this. How has this changed your view? Because I, I what I've noticed, if you guys didn't know, and I, I didn't say that in the beginning, Lexi's a foodie. Okay. And if you don't know that Lexi is a foodie, she has all kinds of foods that she, she makes, she's been participating in. She said she's got her master's in that. And, you know, uh, I, I look at her, I look at some of the things that she puts up and I get hungry. I'm like, I eat that. You know I mean? So it's like, I, I love that. But, you know, Lexi, we had a few, we had a physician on here and we, we have, from some guests and they talk about, you know, why, right? We talk about why you said that earlier, why, what's going on? What did I do? Is it, you know, could it be the things I eat? Have you taken nutrition into consideration on maybe why this has come about and what has been your approach? Yeah. So I think a lot of the why for me was that I was so healthy beforehand and I I come from a a nutrition background. So I was very confused. And again, I don't have cancer in my family, but um, I did know that to to maintain my baseline, I needed to keep up with nutrition. Um, And nutrition played a massive role in my, um, my treatment. I, I, did so well. My doctors would look at me and say, I would, if it weren't for your headscarf, I would never know that you're going through treatment. And uh, by the way, I just finished treatment two weeks ago. Um, So I'm very fresh out of it. Um, I did a lot um, to maintain my uh, blood counts. I would eat liver, uh, calf liver, um, beets, kale, spinach every single day. Um, And eating calf liver for five months is really something, but (laughs) it really helped. And they were saying, your hemoglobin is great. Your platelets are great. Um, I also cut out alcohol because it influences your white blood cell count. Um, And my white blood cell count never dropped below the normal range. It would sit kind of at the lower end. 
but I also, uh, it had a lot of bone broth to boost my, my blood counts. But something that was huge for me um, is, um, you know, my mom is a chief nursing officer at a trauma center, and she has access to the medical library. And she, of course, has gone um, through medical training herself. Uh, and she found research by um, uh, Victor Longo, um, who I'm sure you've, you've maybe heard of before. Uh, he's an Italian researcher, and his research shows that if you do fasting for two days prior to your chemotherapy treatment, that our, your cells, your healthy cells, will go into um, a protective mode following this uh, kind of ancient genetic code that we have from when we were hunters and gatherers and your healthy cells will protect themselves while the mutated, the cancer cells don't have that genetic code. So your chemotherapy can actually be more effective while preserving um, your organs and your health. And, you know, I didn't do it for my first round, so I did lose my hair, but it saved my eyelashes and my eyebrows and my nails and and I felt really, really good. The only feeling that I really felt through through chemotherapy was being really tired, of course, from the, the steroid crash. Um, and I'm a very tiny person, so taking, um, I, I'm only five feet tall, taking uh, um, 10 steroids uh, or 12 steroids uh, beforehand is a lot for me. Um, and I was bouncing off the walls and, and all, all of it. But um, it had a huge impact on me. Yeah. Oh, I was like vacuuming on the ceiling, like a very, very uh, hyped up. But um, the the fasting changed everything. The first round, I didn't do it. And I felt bone aches and my feet were hot and I would feel some tingling and I was really uncomfortable. And But um, I, I went through the remainder of chemo, never having nausea, never vomiting, never feeling ill. I never felt ill. And I will also say that what has really kept me going too is that all of those problems with my digestion and feeling sick to my stomach and feeling to be, be living in pain all resolved when I had my, my surgery and when I went through chemo all resolved. And so I do, I feel better than I have in a decade and I'm 27. That's a big chunk of your life. Yes. Huge. Yeah. yeah. You know, and the, and the fact that you're feeling better, it, like I said, I can see it radiates, you know, yeah. and I see that from you. I, I don't know what you look like prior to, but I've seen what people look like when they're in pain. But when I see you, I'm like, my goodness, you give up that energy. Your smile is bright, your color. It, it, I love that. And to know, Lexi, you just finished chemo two weeks ago speaks volumes. Yeah, I, I feel so great and and I also you know knowing going through this journey of um, learning how to advocate for myself is such a huge piece too that I have this much larger tool belt than I had beforehand I mean it's it's really it's a full picture here it's it's knowing what to eat and what's right and how to keep moving and um, how to to tell your doctors this makes me uncomfortable or I don't like this I, I had an experience where you know, uh, and this is with one of the team members that, that uh, was handpicked for me, uh, who had me 
keep going into this one room where I received my prognosis and I kept having all of my meetings in there. And finally, one day she asked me, how are you doing? And I felt comfortable enough with her that I could say, not well, because I've been in this room and I'm, I'm just feeling very triggered. I, I just feel uncomfortable in this room and, and sad. And I want to, I don't want to feel stagnant in my treatment. I want to feel like I'm moving forward. And she said, I hadn't even thought of that. And she literally wrote in my chart, Lexi will no longer be in room 10. We're moving her <laughs> forward from here. And, and it made such a huge difference in my treatment and feeling like I am progressing. I am moving forward. I'm not just living in this moment of hearing 10 years, you know, I, I can, I can move forward. So um, I, I feel great. I feel really good. And I feel like I've learned so much and um, you know, you're right. Most people don't have this resilience. And um, I have to say, you know, I grew up on the Gulf coast of Mississippi and um, I'm a Katrina refugee. And I went through that at 11 and um, learning how to be resilient at such a young age there's something as traumatic as that maybe that's not always necessary but I learned a lot and I know that I want to live and I will do anything to keep doing to keep living yes I love that Lexi and, and, and I hope my listeners can can look at this and go I want that that I want what Lexi has because it's possible Lex, you, you, you're phenomenal, you know, and, and thank you for that. What I want to ask you this, Lexi, is, you know, prior to being diagnosed, and, and, and I ask this all the time because it's important to get the perspective. You know, Lexi was out here. She's a program director. You know, she's, she's living life. She's traveling. She's going to India for six months and doing, you know, how about the Lexi now? What has changed in your mindset about life? now? Yeah, so a lot. Um, I was living in in Philly and uh, without family. Um, My husband and I didn't have any family in the city. Our closest family was in Providence, which is, you know, five hours away. It's not exactly close. And you don't have the joy of having someone up the street or the support going through this with family having to to kind of fly in and out. And and, um, that's very hard. Going through this alone is very tough. And, um, you know, one day, you know, and, and of course, you know, I'm 27 and I'm in a management role and I'm very proud of that. Um, but I, both my husband and I started realizing how much um, priority we were really placing on career and less so on what really was important to us and kind of playing that LinkedIn game of competing with, with ourselves and with our peers and trying to be the best. And, and this one small facet of your life, it was taking over. And so, you know, we, um, we had a conversation one night of saying, like, what if we moved home? What if we moved and, and we lived closer to family? And it doesn't have to be forever, but this is something that we want. And, you know, we're from the Gulf Coast, being able to ride in parades with our family and being able to today, we're going to go down to the river and stop for boiled peanuts at our favorite spot, our favorite produce stand, and be able to, to just... Um, relax and enjoy life in, in a way and you really do appreciate life in a totally different way when you're handed a diagnosis when you are handed a very terrifying prognosis at, at 27 you start really rethinking things of what what is important and then 
you have a, a get out of the rat race free card. You don't need to, to continue the rat race. It's okay. And you can live how you want to live. And um, that's another reason for my feeling so, so bright and maybe glowing is because um, I'm home and I feel really good. Yes. Oh my goodness, Lexi. It's, it's nothing like family, you know, and I hear that that was part of your values in, in your family. So talk to, talk to about what's important to Lexi now, you know, you touched on, you touched on it, you moved back home and you're surrounded by those that love you and talking about a parade, but what is, what's important to Lexi right now? Gosh, well, of course, spending time with family, but um, so much of what I'm spending my time on is um, raising awareness about um, ovarian cancer overall, but of course, this rare subtype that I have, low-grade serous, um, it disproportionately impacts women in their 20s and 30s, and um, because it is a rare subtype, we don't receive much funding for it, um, for research, um, and there's no cure. Um, there are only treatments. Um, the prognosis is 10 years, and I will, I refuse to accept that. Um, so I have set out to um, try and raise as much money as possible. Since March 21st, I've raised over $25,000, all of it going towards MD Anderson's Moonshots program for low-grade cirrus, um, and in hopes that I and, and other women like me can live as long as we possibly can. We have a fair shot. We should have a fair shot at, at a, a long life as well, just like everyone else. And um, so I'm doing a lot of, um, a lot of fundraising. Oh, look at you. Such a, you, you know, it shows up, Lexi. You know, it's interesting. I, as I listen to this today, you know, the connection between the physicians wasn't there. And that's what you're about. You're about family and connecting and, and, you know, and you needed someone with that same type of value and you found it in that ER doctor. And, and it's so interesting how it was just there that one day. And then you, your, your values align. And now you're here and you've transformed. I'm not on a rat race anymore. I'm not doing this. Yeah, money is great. We need it, but it's not all, it's not all what's important you know, and you put yourself in an environment that you're thriving and that we see this glow today. But you've also done something else. Talk to us about, you, you mentioned it, you're helping with the MD Anderson. But Lexi, you have your own, you have your own fundraiser too, though, right? Yes. So I have been raising money through the, the Lexi Mestis Resilience Fund. Um, and that's where all the money goes to MD Anderson. Um, and I've been, I held a, uh, an online auction. I'm going to be holding another one. And I've gathered all of my friends together to donate their wonderful talents. So we have paintings and Airbnb stays and um, massages and all of these different wonderful things. My friends have been so gracious. Um, yeah, so our first round, we raised over $10,000. It was very exciting. And um, in addition to the, uh, the upcoming um, fund our auction, which will be August 27th to September 11th. And I can share the link for that. Um, 
I'm also hosting uh, a gala in um, Mobile, Alabama at a historic uh, inn, the Malaga Inn. Um, and the theme is wigging out. I won't have hair yet. So everyone will be invited to wear a fun wig and a costume. And um, we have uh, bands playing, drag it. queens, drag kings, uh, wonderful food, of course. Um, so it's going to be very exciting. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've always had this, this kind of dream of being like a great Gatsby figure where I can just like host parties and and <laughs> fundraise and it's kind of like this is happening to me this is what I'm doing now um, so it's I found a lot of joy in it and and also I felt a lot of like con an element of control in a situation where you just feel so out of control yeah. and and I am someone who takes charge and needs to feel that and I think so much of what leaves cancer patients feeling so uh, lost is that you really, you're on that high-speed train and you don't feel that you have control. And, and me saying, you know, I can raise money and I can hope that this money will, will bring us some answers and, and some relief um, to this, this pain of this prognosis. Um, so having that element of control has been huge for me and, and feeling like I have a way forward. Yes so beautiful. We need that. You know, I, I've learned that a little bit about myself too. I need control in certain things too. And, it, you know, and when I feel out of control, my life, I just like, oh, I hate it. Yeah. So, I, so I can imagine, <laughs> right? I being on this train, but let me ask you this. How do you ground yourself? Right? How do you, you know, those, those days where our minds get ahead of us and take us down this, this negative path. How do you reel that back in, Lexi? Yeah, I, I think so much of it um, goes back to thinking about my aunt Susan saying, you have to keep your head in the game. And I know, you know, with the pr protocol that I'm on now um, and, and the ongoing treatment with the hormone blockers, I, I have something i don't i don't i have some some element of control there and that um this is i know it's helping and that i do have control and what i eat and um the joy that i have in my life shaping my environment being around family and um i find i find peace in 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 those things and and keep reminding myself that no one has the promise of tomorrow. And so much of what's been challenging for me in this diagnosis is having doctors talk to you as if they've seen into the future and know how you're going to die. And, um, you know, by handing you that prognosis and kind of saying like, this is, this is it sort of thing. And, and um, I know that, you know, their medical minds work a certain way, uh, but that, even they could pass away on the way to work or whatever it is um, that no one has the promise of tomorrow. I am going to keep it my, my head in the game for today. I'm going to live for today. I'm setting myself up for happiness every day and success for my treatment long-term with my health. And um, I find a lot of peace in that and, and can kind of step away from those dark moments. Good, good. Good, I mean, amazing gems that you just dropped right now, you know, and good advice is what I was trying to say. Good advice. It, it's so, these gems are so important. And uh, the same thing happened with some previous guests that we've had. They talked about not 
necessarily willing to accept that. You know, there's there's things that within their control on how they can look at this and research. And just like the the gentleman you brought up to our attention, Victor, and what that's done for you, there's so many things out here. And so as you continuously advocate for those and you're actually learning along the way too. So we thank you for that, Lexi. It's it's amazing. I've, you learn a lot when you get handed this diagnosis. Um, and I've always been a little bit of a loudmouth, <laughs> so I'm happy <laughs> happy to share and and keep shouting from the rooftops that you know this doesn't this is going to keep happening to women in their 20s and 30s disproportionately and. Um, you know, we're at an age where we don't always have our footing in the medical world because we haven't been diagnosed with so many things or we're not really, well, that's not really our world world yet. We're healthy. And um, so I just, I just want to provide people with um, the tools that I've used and what's worked for me and, um, and just give people, give people the, the kind of strength that I've had and, and um, hopefully make it their process and their journey a little bit easier um, because there's a lot of finding out what to do as long as, as well as who you are along the way. For sure. So Lexi and her husband, here we are now we've moved, we're, we're in Alabama. Okay. What, it, what are you guys doing now? What, what I mean by that, what's the next step? How do you celebrate? How do you, your family, your husband, how do you guys celebrate? Well, um, we, uh, we've only been home for one week today. Um, so we are um, celebrating by just really being together. Um, I went to have my end of chemo blood work uh, this past Wednesday and um, my CA-125, that, that blood serum um, for inflammation in your abdomen went from 11 to 5.7. And I was told it may never get below 10. Um, and I said, watch me. So uh, I've done everything that I could. And, and so celebrating you know, it looks so different now because we're around family and that is so important to us. So today we're, we're going to the river and uh, we'll be swimming. We'll be having boiled peanuts. We'll be enjoying each other's company and nice. having both of our parents there at the same time. I mean, typically we would only see them maybe once or twice a year. So it's just, it feels like we're celebrating every day. And, um, and I think that that's the trick is, you know, appreciating every single day and, and celebrating every single day, because even if, even those hard days, even the scary days where you're going for scans, there is something to celebrate. And, um, I, I'm almost thankful in a way for this experience and facing my mortality straight in the eye, um, to really, really appreciate how precious this life is. Absolutely. Lexi, what, what a gift you've given us you know, and sharing your, sharing your story and your experience. And I hope everyone picked up on that. There's nothing like love, right? Being around those that love you and it's healing. It's healing in a whole different way, right? Absolutely. And love that. Like I say, I, I appreciate, appreciate you being here on All Talk Oncology. You know, we, 
again, we love to empower cancer patients through these insightful conversations. And you are a warrior uh, a, with a huge heart. And to be on our show, you just going through this, just finish your chemo two weeks ago. I mean, just a phenomenal human being. I, I'm glad that I got to know you. And uh, I wish you nothing but success and, and, and that. I'm glad that you came into uh, our lives here at All Talk Oncology. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for letting me share my story and, and hopefully reaching more people who, um, who might be going through this and, and have them um, know a little bit more about what to look for and um, how to advocate for themselves and, and make a difference. Yes. Again, we want to thank you, Lexi Mastis, for joining us here on All Talk Oncology. You are so phenomenal, and I wish you nothing but success, and I'm so happy you're home. I'm happy you're home around those who love you. Appreciate you. Thank you again. Thank you so much. So again, I want to thank everyone who tuned in today. Here's where you will find up-to-date cancer discussions with industry experts and leading professionals that can help you in your cancer fight. You are not alone in this. We are in this together. I'm your host, Kenny Perkins, a.k.a. The Cancer Guy. And until again, I'm out.